0: Well, welcome to a special edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and today is the first Thursday in the month of May, and that means by federal decree, this is the National Day of Prayer. And this is a program where we typically uh, spend a lot of time in prayer, of course. But I thought it would be very important for us to spend the first hour of the broadcast, obviously, thinking about prayer issues. But also, maybe more importantly, I mean, prayer is important every day taking a look at what our faith looks like in the public square. And you know, it's just it's interesting to me how many people take a look at faith and they see you know, what they think Christianity should be. They see God for who they want him to be, not for who he really is. And a friend of mine posted this a uh, week or so ago. John Dostel is a pastor friend of mine. We were in Lutheran Seminary together and he posted something about, don't worry about committing the unpardonable sin, and that is, of course, blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. He said, the reason why you shouldn't worry about this, and I'm paraphrasing, the reason why you shouldn't worry about it is the fact that you're worrying about it means that you have the Holy Spirit in your heart. You know, if you didn't have that kind of conscious, I don't want to blaspheme the Holy Spirit, then that would be a problem. But it's interesting to see how many people in the culture spend as much time as they do kind of playing around with God's word and biblical principles, but not actually living by it. And I want to start off with a story uh, about something. That, uh, this is a true story. It actually did happen uh, because the uh, House of Representatives in the state of Arizona had a problem. And the problem is that they um, uh, were, they had some Bibles that were in the, uh, the lounge there, and the Bibles began missing. they they kept coming up missing. And it's interesting because people were like, okay, well, who's actually taking the Bibles? Now, I'll be honest with you. I've been in situations with churches before where they had a surplus of Bibles for whatever reason. Pew Bibles, you know, before the pandemic, most churches had them. Some churches have them on big racks. They wheel them in. Um, Most churches have extra Bibles in their home. Heck, most families have extra Bibles in their home. Um, I, in my home office right now, I can think of at least four <laughs> Bibles that I have on my bookshelves. Um, and, and obviously, these are the kinds of things that you don't want to just hang on to. You want to make sure that they're actually being used. Uh, if we had people back in my days at Lutheran Church of the Cross, if someone walked in and said, gosh, I just became a Christian, I want a Bible, I would hand them one of the pew Bibles and say, here, take it. And the question then was, well, why? I said, well, we've got lots of them. And if you need a Bible, I don't want the fact that there aren't a lot of Christian retail stores around here anymore to, to, to keep you from getting one. Let, take it now. Read it now. Start letting the word work in your heart. Interestingly enough, though, in the Arizona Statehouse, um, there were some Bibles there and they began vanishing. And people were wondering, well, what's going to happen? Well, we do live in the time of the, uh, you know, the, the, the hidden camera, the surveillance camera footage and portable phones, um, but they did not have cameras in the, uh, in the state house lounge until recently. And this is, it's, it's kind of funny, but it's also a little interesting. Once the Bibles were missing, they were trying to figure out why they kept disappearing. Was it a miraculous thing? Was it God on the move? Was it the enemy? Well, it turned out it was one of their members. But it wasn't just any member. Uh, State Democratic Representative Stephanie Stahl Hamilton turned out to be the one who was taking the Bibles. As a matter of fact, the first day they installed the cameras, they have footage of Representative Saul Hamilton, taking two of the Bibles. Um, The House security team also discovered one Bible wound up buried in lounge furniture. Another one wound up in the community refrigerator. Now, you have to ask the question, why did this woman do what she did? Um, Apparently, there were lots of requests from uh, local news, asking whether or not, uh, you know, they had a statement from uh, the, the representative and she declined multiple requests for comment. Uh, there was one inquiry from a reporter for 3TV, a guy with the name of David uh, Caltabano, uh, who had a video of him confronting Hamilton and asking for an explanation. She didn't comment, walked away. Then they called her. She wouldn't walk away as well. Finally, uh, the Arizona State Representative's office sent out a statement to that news outlet, and it was from uh, Representative Hamilton herself claiming her actions were, quote, just a little playful commentary on the separation of church and state. On the following day, last Wednesday, uh, she issued a formal apology on the House floor. She acknowledged that to some her actions, quote, could be seen as something less than playful Uh, But so far, no complaints about her and the incident with the Bibles have been taken to leadership. Um, It's very interesting. This lounge space serves as a place where members of the House can take a call if they need to, meet with colleagues. It's where senior staff members get together in between votes. Um, If you've got a guest visiting... You're permitted in the lounge, but you have to have an official escort. And there are security team members that are there on a regular basis. When they found out that the Bibles were missing, they started looking, and eventually they found them hidden underneath the cushions of two chairs. Another Bible, that was the one that disappeared about a week later and wound up inside a refrigerator. Now, that communal area did not have cameras up until April the 10th. Well, actually, April the 9th. So Easter Sunday, they installed the cameras. And on the 10th, they found Representative Hamilton hiding a pair of Bibles. Now, here's what makes this thing even more interesting. It's not. She said she was having a little fun making a commentary on the separation of church and state. But you got to know who you're dealing with here. I'm sure that many of our listeners who would hear, oh, well, she's a Democrat. So that obviously means... Well, not so fast here. Um, According to the website of Representative Stephanie Stahl-Hamilton, she earned her master's degree in divinity at Princeton Theological Seminary. And she is actually an ordained minister in the Presbyterian Church USA. When eventually she did issue a statement, she said, look, I'm I'm a minister. I mean... I was doing this just to have some fun. Obviously, I don't have a problem with the Bible. um, But I could see where people might think it was a little bit less than playful. But she was just making a commentary, she said, about why there should be a separation, or if there is a separation of church and state, then the Bible should be hidden there and not anywhere else. I'm going to go out on a limb here. Um, I am of the opinion that there are some denominations And I know people in the PCUSA, full disclosure. My brother went to Princeton, has his master's in divinity from Princeton. My brother has been serving in the Presbyterian Church USA for, gosh, 25 years. And I love my brother. And I could see him pulling a prank like this. I honestly could. But I realize there are some people in all different denominations that look at the Bible as more of a history book and not so much as a sacred text. And so where the representative is claiming well, hey, I'm a minister, I'm ordained. So, I mean, I was just making a comment about separation of church and state. Something tells me that there might have been a little more truth to that than she's letting on. She says it was kind of playful, harmless, no big deal, but maybe she was uncomfortable with the fact that there would be some people who would be uncomfortable with the copy of God's word in a a meeting room that was entirely designed for elected officials. Well, brothers and sisters, first part of our National Day of Prayer, let's come before the throne of grace on behalf of everyone who serves in elected office, those who are in judicial appointments, those who are working uh, in the public good, that the word of God would dwell richly, that it wouldn't be hidden under seat covers or in a refrigerator, but it would be hidden in their hearts. Heavenly Father, today we come before you as a nation of prayerful and grateful people. We know that things in the world are kind of crazy for some folks, but then there are those of us who are walking around with the peace of Christ in our minds and the joy of the Lord in our hearts. And I pray for everyone who is elected to office. I pray that there would be more people uh, from the divinity world, if, it were, if you will, Christians, who would run for office and, and understanding the tif- difference between the two kingdoms that we serve in, the temporal kingdom here and the kingdom of yours. Help us to live out biblical values. Help us to help people see that when we are truly living out the gospel of of forgiveness and reconciliation, that we're living out biblical truth, that the world really is a better place, and that even unbelievers have a better experience with their worldly day-to-day living when that's, in fact, the case. Father, thank you for loving us enough. Thank you for giving us this platform today to have a conversation about not separating The church from the world, but rather helping us as Christians to live in the world but not of it. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's take a uh, quick break here. And as we continue, it's National Day of Prayer. I've asked Dr. George Barna to join us for a portion of the conversation here. He has identified what he calls the seven pillars of having a biblical worldview. And as fewer and fewer people in the United States are identifying as Christians, and the ones who do identify as Christians really don't hold to a biblical worldview, perhaps you are wondering what exactly a biblical worldview looks like. Well, Dr. George Barna and I will have that conversation on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial, and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Well, today here on The Bottom Line, our regularly scheduled visit with our good friend, Dr. George Barna, the lead researcher researcher for the Cultural Research Center at the uh, Arizona Christian University, the, the guy behind the American Worldview Inventory, and a shocking uh, development that's happened in the culture with regard to uh, why so many people have given up on a biblical worldview, but then George has some good information to counteract that. Dr. George Barna, welcome back to The Bottom Line Show.
2: Thanks, Roger. I'm glad I'm back with you.
0: One of the we are too, because I know you've been really heavy in book writing mode, and I think we've only had a one opportunity to chat so far this year, but that's okay. As long as you dedicated the book to all of the bottom line listeners, I think we'll be in good shape. Is that going to, is that in the, <laughs> did, did that make it through?
2: You know, I, I have no say over
0: the editing process. So I can't promise <laughs> anything. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah. well. One thing we do agree on, though, because we're both bass players at heart, and George is much better than I am, and has a lot more basses than I do. But let's face it. When uh, there's a okay, I'll, I'll throw this out here. Duran Duran has a song called "Come Undone," part of their whole, uh, you know, Renaissance of pop music in 1992. For some uh, inexplicable reason, John Taylor, the bass player treats the second verse of that song like he doesn't know where to come in. And the first time I saw this thing live, I thought, wait, what the heck? It's just, it's odd. And then by the time they get to the chorus or the pre-chorus, whatever, he's back in it again. But I'm thinking, wait a minute, dude, don't you know, if you don't have a good bass part, you don't have one of the foundations of the song. Am I right? I mean, is that, I'm I'm not just saying this because we're bass players, but because you really do have to have a good foundation for a song. And in popular music, if you don't have the bass right, you don't have the song.
2: You're absolutely right, and it's interesting because years ago, uh, when I was doing some studio work and whatnot, uh, somebody played a track, and they left out the bass part intentionally because it was Mm -hmm. they were still working on that. Uh, But somebody was in the studio. I think it was uh, one of the singers was listening, and and she listened to it. She said, "Wow, I don't know. There's something missing." what's wrong with the song?
1: Mm-hmm. I thought it was
2: a great song, but it just doesn't, it doesn't have like body to it. Right. And, and then the engineer said, well, yeah, there's no baseline. In there. <laughs> she said, oh, okay. I'll come back later. You know? But yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, people can't put their finger on it, mm-hmm. uh, but that when, when there's a song that doesn't have it working or working right or at all, you know, it, you know, there's something off.
0: Well, the reason I bring in the foundational aspects is because the latest study from the Center, uh, the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University and Dr. George Barnett is basically getting back to the, the basics of, of what it means to hold a biblical worldview and the fact that during the pandemic we saw that the, uh, the decline in biblical worldview among American adults was pretty dramatic. But when it comes to the actual Cornerstone the Foundation, what exactly is a biblical worldview? I'm sure there are a lot of people, George, who are surprised to find out that they don't have a biblical worldview, even though they thought that they did. T- talk about what your research has indicated in terms of who has a biblical worldview and is a, actually a Christian in this culture.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, the, only God really knows who has a biblical worldview. We just do the research to try to estimate what's going on and then help <laughs> Fair people enough. based yeah. on what we find out. Mm -hmm. But we do know that a majority of Americans claim they have a biblical worldview based on the study that we've done at the beginning of this year in January, the American worldview inventory, which we do every year. Only 4% of adults in America currently have a biblical worldview. Wow. Now, that doesn't mean that they know everything in the Bible. One of my friends, Wayne Grudem, a great theologian, you know, we were once talking about worldview and worldview development. And I said, well, you know, what do you think about this whole issue? And he said, well, you know, if you think about it, to have a biblical worldview, you really need to know and do everything that's in the Bible. That's a biblical worldview. (laughs) Okay, Wayne, you're not helping me or anybody very much with that. But, you know, I mean, what we're looking at is people having the basics in mind, you know, getting four out of five core principles correct, you know, and and then doing those things four out of five uh, times. So we're not even looking for perfection in what we're trying to measure. But even so, we come up with only 4% of adults. Now, if we look at, for instance, born-again Christians, not people who call themselves that, but people who would say that when they die, they know they're going to heaven, but only because they've confessed their sins and accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Only about Thirteen percent of those people have a biblical worldview. Mm. And when you talk about people who regularly attend evangelical churches, basically the same number, 14 percent. So we're looking at even small percentages of people who you would expect would have that mindset where the Bible really is the guiding light in their life. But Mm. we're not finding that to be the case. And that's why I'm kind of excited about this discovery, if you will, coming out of the research of these things that we're calling the seven cornerstones of the biblical worldview, because uh, it, it's it's a great starting place for if you want to go back and assess how you're doing, or you want to work with a child, a teenager, or some other person, and help them think through how could they be more like Christ. Well, because you do what you believe, you got to get the beliefs right first. Yeah, And then once you've got those right, then it's an issue of, now, how do I translate that into a lifestyle that puts me in a place where I'm being consistent in terms of my obedience to God? And I'm not going to be struggling with cognitive dissonance because I'm saying one thing, doing another, believing one thing, doing another. That's a real problem in many ways. But, you know, if we just go back to the foundations and build on a strong foundation, then we've got the real hope of being able to build out a a more complete biblical worldview.
0: Dr. George Barna, my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. We're taking a look at the Cultural Research Center from Arizona Christian University's seven uh, cornerstones, if you will, of what it means to have a biblical worldview. We've talked about the first one, uh, ad nauseum, George, uh, the orthodox biblical understanding of God. But even uh, John Bevere wrote a, a really powerful book called The Awe of God that just came out, and where he talks about the romanticism that a lot of people have toward God, and and many people who don't know who God is because they've decided God is good, God is loving, God would never tell them they're wrong, God thinks all their friends are fantastic, you know, that type of thing. It's that God accepts you just the way you are part, but not the God who loves you enough to correct the parts that are wrong. Um, How bad is it when it comes to people who are Christians or who identify as Christian, but really don't have a biblical understanding of who God is?
2: Well, you know, I mean, when we look at the nation at large, only half of Americans now believe in God, a God who could be described as all-knowing, all-powerful, perfect, just, the creator of the world, still involved in the world. He'll rule it for eternity. Uh, You know, only half of Americans. So I mean, it's a significant drop from what it used to be in the past. And even with, uh, you know, born-again Christians, we find that we're not too bad on this one. We kind of get the big picture of God. It's the so what, where we fall apart on that. It's like, so if you believe that there is that kind of a God, then how are you going to show it? How are you going to demonstrate it? How are you going to bring glory and honor and pleasure to him? And so that's, that's where the born-again population is struggling. The rest of the population is still struggling with the belief issue.
0: Mm. One of the other aspects when it comes to the biblical worldview is the nature of sin. And I've talked to so many people of late, I'll say over the last 10 years, who hold the view that they believe that, Jesus, that, that there's sin in the world. Jesus Christ came and paid the penalty for that sin on the cross. And now our obligation is just to be good since Jesus paid the penalty for sin. And of course, the big gaping hole in that argument, of course, is that that we're all sinful by nature, which means sin is still here. And it's not like Jesus came like a big old rainstorm and washed away all the smog. Um, talk, talk about that for a moment. Many people in the church kind of believe, hey, I'm not sinning anymore because Jesus paid the penalty for my sin. Or, you know, we're all pretty much good people by nature. We really don't need to have that kind of transactional experience with God.
2: Yeah, we're in a situation where a large majority of Americans believe that they personally are good. Only 2% believe that they're going to go to hell after they mm. die. Wow. Uh, they don't believe that most people are going to go to hell after they die because their argument is, look, if, if there is a heaven and hell, if there is a God, And if he is a loving God, which is what you Christians claim, how would he send anybody there? That doesn't make any sense. So there's this whole universalistic uh, approach that they take to, to the whole issue of sin and salvation, eternity and whatnot. We also, however, find that even among people who say that they they've gone to Christ they've gone to the lord and and confessed their sins and embraced him as their savior. Uh, an enormous percentage of them also say but if that's not the route that you want to choose you can just work at being good enough. It's probably going to be harder, but you can do it.
1: Mm-hmm. Which
2: of course is against what the scriptures teach and against what Jesus died for. So there's a lot of bad theology even among people who are in churches that may have good theology. So we can't take for granted that even the born-again or evangelical population, two different groups there in in my reckoning, but Mm -hmm. that either of those groups really understands how all of this plays out. We also live in a culture right now where there's a greater proportion of people who believe that they can earn eternal salvation than believe that that salvation comes through a saving grace-based relationship with jesus christ mm. so there's a lot of garbage and and i'll throw one other thing out here too which is that when we look at all of the people who currently attend christian churches a majority of them do not believe that salvation is based on christ mm. so uh you know it it I always kind of laugh when people say, oh, well, you know, we're going to put on a big missions conference and hope to get people going all around the world. It's like, here's an idea. Save your money on the conference. How about if you get people to minister to the folks coming to your church services? Mm. Because most of them don't know Jesus. And the Jesus that they know isn't the Jesus of the Bible.
0: Wow. Wow. Powerful statement and insightful uh, insightful exhortation from Dr. George Barna today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. We're talking about a new report from Arizona Christian University's Cultural Resource Center that identifies the seven cornerstones of a biblical worldview. More of this conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. National Day of Prayer edition of the program, and I hope you've taken some time to uh, spend some time praying for our nation. Hopefully that would be something that we do each and every day. But uh, especially here on this first Thursday of the month, uh, we're grateful that Dr. George Barna stopped by for a visit today, albeit on the telephone, to talk about the seven pillars of what it means to have a truly biblical worldview. Uh, We'll link this article up as part of his American Worldview Inventory at Arizona Christian University that we have up at thebottomlineshow.com. And by the way, if you want to get these reports, you can get them for free. We do have a link at the article. Just go to thebottomlineshow.com and you can uh, link up there. Um, Heavenly Father, today we come before you looking to your word to see what a biblical worldview looks like according to your definition. We get the sense that since only 4% of American people hold to a truly biblical worldview, then we, of all people, need to do a better job of studying it, understanding it, and presenting it. And we're grateful for the work you've done with Dr. George Barna and the seven pillars that he's uncovered. May we receive these with joy even if they do seem a little saddening to us for how few people actually adhere to them but we believe that your word is faithful and true we believe that we're sinners who need a savior we believe that uh, jesus christ paid the penalty for our sin and if we profess with our mouth that jesus is lord and believe in our hearts that you raised him from the dead father that we will be saved help us to continue to live as biblical worldview christians in a deepened, darkening world that's falling further and further away from you and into sin and torment. We ask all these things in Jesus' precious and powerful name. And all God's people said, amen. We'll take a quick break here on this National Day of Prayer edition of the Bottom Line Show. Dr. George Barnett joins me on the other side of said break to continue our look at the seven pillars of a biblical worldview. It's coming up next as the Bottom Line continues.
1: Don't believe your insurance company is looking out for you. They're not. They want you to call them after you're in an accident, but you shouldn't handle that alone. That's where Stephanie Cover of Cover Law shines. With 20 years of insurance industry experience, she knows all the angles and will fight for your rights. Insurance companies pretend to be your partner, but in reality, their primary goal is to pay you as little as possible. When you work with Cover Law, Stephanie becomes your negotiator, and the insurance companies must talk to her, not you you need to rest and heal. Stephanie is different from other attorneys. She's fully invested in your legal, medical, financial, emotional, and spiritual needs. After an accident, you don't want to deal with insurance adjusters who want to minimize your payout. So don't wait. Contact Cape Bright's personal injury attorney today at capewrightradiocom slash coverlaw. You won't pay a dime to talk to someone who truly cares about your healing.
0: Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Great conversation with Dr. George Barna, the lead researcher of the Cultural Resource Center at Arizona Christian University. Uh, does I, I love the way you described your ministry, George. You just measure things. And uh, you give us uh, the truth as to kind of like going to the doctor and saying, okay, doctor, what's going on with my physical body? You're studying the church and the church and the culture. The uh, culture American world, Worldview Inventory is a must read. If you're not subscribing to that, you can get free updates from ACU, and we've got that link up at the BottomLineShow.com. Dr. Barna also has a new book coming out soon about millennials and thriving. And this is we're talking about these seven cornerstones of a biblical worldview, and this number six seems like one that might be one of those it's been hiding in plain sight. We've probably sensed it was here in part of the church. We just didn't know how to articulate it. Talk about the ultimate purpose of life and why it is so challenging for people with a biblical worldview to kind of work past this without God, even though so many of them seem to be trying to do so.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, we're in a situation where most people have become more and more about themselves. And, you know, when we think about the millennials who, the way we measured, at least they're currently the people 20 to 39 years of age, Mm -hmm. biggest generation in America's history, a lot of opportunity the biggest parenting generation the biggest uh employee generation you know so we look at all that and and yet one of the things that has become a stereotype for that particular group is oh man they're a bunch of do-nothings they're lazy people and i look at the research and i say well you know what maybe the reason why they're not getting jobs maybe the reason why they're not doing a lot of things that older people have expected of them is because 75% of them say that they don't believe that they have any purpose for their life. Now, we can look at that from a psychological vantage point and start to, you know, analyze it that way. But I'm looking at it from a spiritual vantage point and saying that that's really a spiritual issue.
1: right?
2: And it goes back to, you know, what we were talking about before of so many people not knowing who God is not believing that he's involved in our lives, not believing that he cares about us individually, not just as a culture or a human race, but me as a person. He really cares. He knows what's going on. He's involved. He wants me to succeed. Most people don't believe those things. And so you put all that together, and it helps us to understand why young people don't have that purpose. When they don't have the purpose, they're not going to have the motivation to pursue things. And we found that it relates to other kinds of issues, too, like mental health issues, because when you lack that sense of purpose, that impacts your sense of who you are, your self-worth, your value to the world, your capacity to succeed. And then it starts to put more pressure on you to take control of your life, to be the one who dictates everything that's happening. It impacts and really impairs your relationships. So, you know, when when we start talking about these cornerstones, they're not just things that you recite in Sunday school, Right. you know, God made me, you know, and God made me for a purpose. God, God's purpose for my life is that I will know him, love him, serve him with all my heart, mind, strength, and soul. I mean, that's great that you memorize it, but then you got to take it and translate it into what, what my favorite question is as a researcher and everything we do here runs through this filter. And that that question is, so what? Mm -hmm. It's like, all right, so you believe you have a purpose. So what? You know, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do in the lives of other people based on your purpose? You know, those are the kinds of things then that become so important toward helping a worldview become real, especially a biblical worldview. So, you know, this thing about life's purpose, we know most people in America, uh, uh, you know, two out of three of them do not believe that they have a purpose in life, which is to know, love, and serve God with all their heart, mind, strength, and soul. If they have any sense of purpose, it's much more narcissistic. Mm -hmm. It's more about, yeah, how can I succeed? How can I feel good about myself? How can I feel happy? It keeps coming back to feelings, because for Americans, again, most of whom say there is no absolute moral truth, everything comes back to feelings.
0: You know, it's interesting talking with Dr. George Barnett today here on The Bottom Line about the seven cornerstones of a biblical worldview and uh, new research that will be coming out in a book soon called Helping Millennials Thrive, Practical Wisdom for a Generation in Crisis. George, I was thinking back to the movie Chariots of Fire, which came out, what, 40 years ago, 41 years ago. And I remember my parents went to go see it before I went and took my girlfriend at the time to go see it. And I asked my mom what, you, what she liked about it the most. She said, well, she's got a family ancestry in Scotland so she said uh, well gosh you kind of just go out singing the movie it's very inspiring and you know very uplifting as far as the faith goes but the one scene that always got to me and and, and I was bitterly disappointed to find out that it was a, an invention in the movie it wasn't something the actual words of Eric Little the uh, Scottish wing who was a, a a sprinter for those who don't know the story go watch chariots of fire Remember the time where he's trying to convince his sister? She wants him to go to the mission field, and he says, look, I met, I know God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. Everybody in the theater understood that. We all understood yeah. that, the fact that that we knew what our purpose was, and then we had to figure out, okay, George Barnum measures things, and Roger explains things, and Eric Little runs fast. <laughs> we, we, we all knew that. And to say that 75% of the largest generation in the United States right now doesn't get that, that should send shivers down the spine of every one of us who's in any kind of leadership position right now, saying, first of all, how do we help them find it? And secondly, how did they not get this?
2: Well, and and it's interesting that you mentioned that because one of the things that we did with our girls as we brought them up is we watch movies together. And after we watched it, we would talk about the movies, we'd explain certain things. When we watched Chariots of Fire, and that, uh, to me, that was the most memorable quote out of that movie. I love that. But, you know, they were really young when they saw it. And, you know, I went back to that quote and they said, Yeah, yeah, yeah. God made him fast. He likes to run. And, you know, he we said, Well, why is that? You know, and they said, Oh, it makes him happy. Mm. It's like, No, mm-hmm. no. <laughs> you know, I. <laughs>
0: I know that's what
2: the culture would want you to think, but let's talk about, you know, everything that that built up to that, about his relationship with God, God giving him a sense of purpose, you know, and and so you have to break it down. In a culture like ours, and that's why these seven cornerstones are so critical, we no longer have the foundation to build on. Mm. But we found that if you embrace all seven of these very simple biblical perspectives— You embrace all seven, you have an 83% probability of having a biblical worldview. If you do not embrace all seven of these, you only wind up with a 2% probability Hmm. of building a biblical worldview.
1: Hmm. That's why
2: I call them the cornerstones, because they form the bricks that are the foundation of how to think biblically so that you can act biblically. And that's what we want to do.
0: And now I'm thinking of another song we used to sing in church, uh, Jesus is the Cornerstone. A v- big, dramatic presentation, but it's true. I mean, it's biblical. It's right. It's true. And uh, George Barna is given, has given us a lot to think about uh, as we talk about the seven cornerstones of a biblical worldview. Dr. George Barna, the lead researcher at uh, the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. The American Worldview Inventory is something you must get, and uh, you can receive it uh, without cost just by going online to thebottomlineshow.com I'm clicking on the links and then we'll have George back on in a couple of weeks when the book is fine. You you were writing one book. You've got this other book coming out. I know that they don't take these things to to market too quickly. What what can we anticipate, George, the last 60 seconds in, in terms of the resources that you have coming out here in 2023?
2: Well, there, there are actually three books that are coming out. So, uh, and then I'll start writing a fourth one in a couple of weeks. But you're
0: a show uh, off. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, no, I'm a crazy man. Is what I am. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I and say I'm that with all love and respect. I am, you I know, I'm write. kidding. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so three that are coming out this year. Let's talk about those really quickly.
2: Yeah. So we've got the book on uh, millennials, based on that research, helping millennials thrive. Practical Wisdom for Generation in Crisis. Uh, Then we're going to have the American Worldview Inventory 2022 23. That's the compilation of of, uh, the research we did on worldview last year, plus two or three additional chapters that we haven't released publicly. And then on Labor Day, we'll be releasing Raising Spiritual Champions which is a book I've been working on the research for for two years. Mm. And that's about how do you raise children to have a biblical worldview and to be sold out disciples of Jesus? And so I'm really excited about that one coming
0: out too. Well, well, we are very excited about them as well. And of course, every book that George Barna puts out, we recommend, and he's gracious enough to uh, uh, share a half hour or so with us here on the Bottom Line Show to talk about it. So uh, we'll link. George, what about personally, just we're wrapping things up here, I know we always promote the uh, Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian, but there's so many other things that you do. What's a good place for us to find you, uh, George Barna, on social media? Uh,
2: You know, I'll be honest with you. I don't do the social media stuff. So it's hard well, to find me. <laughs> do, do, well, do you have a website at least that we could put up? <laughs> yeah, there's uh well, there there's always the culturalresearchcenter.com. There's also georgebarna.com. Um and and I think every once in a while, you know, I'll put something out on Instagram or Facebook, but mm-hmm. I I'm, I'm not real skilled at that and and it takes a certain uh, I mean it's a more visual medium and, right. it, and it's a quick hit medium. So I'm not real good at that.
0: Uh, we're working on getting there, but well, plus you have yeah. a life, and I get it. You know, I mean, there's a <laughs> <laughs> well, not much of one, as you can tell. Yeah. You know. <laughs> no, but you understand your life's purpose, and that's that. That speaks volumes about your character. Dr. George Barna with the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University, GeorgeBarna.com, and also the link for ACU is up at theBottomLineShow.com. George, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for being with us today here on the Bottom Line. Thank you, Roger. Always great to connect with our good friend, Dr. George Barna, especially today here on this National Day of Prayer. And Heavenly Father, we come before you today uh, praying for our states, our nation, and the world. We pray, Father, that for those of us who are called to live as Christians here in the United States and not living as Christians, but we are grafted into your family, that we would hold to a truly biblical worldview and that we would embrace these seven pillars of uh what it means to have a biblical worldview that Dr. George Varna has identified, and uh, we're grateful that you've shown us uh, what that really means and why it's so important, and that this would move from being a book about you and your son to a real relationship builder, whether it be through prayer or through reading God's Word or living it out, meeting you in the waters of baptism or in the elements of Holy Communion. Thank you for hearing and answering our prayers for our nation and for the world. In Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of the big dividing lines in the culture, and I have to admit, as a conservative-leaning guy, when Roe versus Wade was overturned last year, uh, June 24th of 2022, many Christians rejoiced. We knew that that would not eliminate abortion in this culture, but man, we did not realize how the enemy would work overtime to try to convince those who are pro-abortion supporters that if we don't have abortion in this country, that's the end of your rights as a human being. That, that all of a sudden you've been sent back to uh, grinding mill and working in the factory and on the farm. It's amazing how many people believe that. I just, I, I, I'm in awe of how many people were duped by the left into voting for these uh, pro-abortion laws. If we had someone in the White House who could actually speak truth to power with regard to uh, the abortion debate, do you think we would see abortion decline to the point where it might actually go away? There's one presidential candidate who says that she is the person who could actually forge what she calls a national consensus on abortion. Her name is Nikki Haley, former governor of South Carolina, and previously had served as the U.S. ambassador to the United Nations during the first two years of Donald Trump's presidency. She gave a speech on abortion before a crowd of pro-life activists at the Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America event a week ago. And during her conversation, during her presentation, she expressed a desire to, quote, start a constructive conversation about where to go from here in our divided country. I'm going to talk about what she means by that. We'll be offering prayer for the unborn. And is it possible to get a consensus in this area? Nikki Haley says it is. And I'll explain why she thinks that way. Coming up next as the bottom line continues. Welcome back to this National Day of Prayer edition of The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and my thanks to Dr. George Barna, the uh, head researcher and director, at, uh, director of research at the Arizona Christian University Cultural Research Center. His American worldview indes- ind- uh, inventory is required reading here at The Bottom Line Show, and if you are interested in getting a copy of the full inventory and all the individual reports, well, you can go to thebottomlineshow.com and sign up for the... Uh, The different uh, reports that they put out, they're all available for free, and uh, we make that link up for you at thebottomlineshow.com. By the way, those seven pillars of a biblical worldview include uh, the fact that you believe that there are moral absolutes that apply to everyone, uh, that people cannot earn a place in heaven, Uh, the purpose of life is to know, love, and serve God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, the Bible is true and the completely accurate word of God, God is the basis of all truth. Human life is sacred, and everyone has a unique God given calling or purpose for their lives. And that being the case, all of those things are wrapped up, quite frankly, in one simple act, and that is God created the heavens and the earth, and God created each of us and saw that human life is good. Very interesting that uh, back one of the things that people in the body of Christ who said, I'm going to vote for Donald Trump back in 2016 even though he's not my first choice for candidacy if he turns out to be a pro-life president it'll be all worth it and in all honesty brothers and sisters he did more than most of us thought he could do with regard to shutting down abortion now Planned Parenthood found ways to nuance and needle around and they, they get more money now they've been getting every year uh, regardless of the president George W. Bush, who was more pro-life, gave more money to Planned Parenthood than Bill Clinton did. Barack Obama, who's pro-abortion, gave more money to Planned Parenthood than George W. Bush did. Donald Trump, who is pro-life, wound up giving more money, even though he took some away publicly, took like $60 million away. Planned Parenthood gets $638 million a year for the federal government. So, you know, no one's going to, quote, unquote, stop abortion if the government keeps giving the leading abortion provider in America all of this free money. It's 40% of their annual budget comes in freebies from the federal government. But when Nikki Haley gave a speech at the Susan B. Anthony event about a couple of weeks ago, she said that she thinks she could bring America to a consensus on abortion. She looked at data from the Susan B. Anthony organization that said 15 states have established total or near bans on abortion. She said there's one state that's about to enact a law banning abortions after six weeks of gestation. Another week has a 15-week abortion ban in effect. Uh, According to the Guttmacher Institute, the former PR arm of Planned Parenthood, there are currently 17 states, along with the District of Columbia, that allow for abortion. Four of the states and the nation's capital allow for abortions up to birth, and two of those states are represented in the bottom line listening audience. The 13 other states that permit abortions do so until what they call viability. Referring to the point where pregnancy where the baby has the ability to survive outside the womb. I've never liked the viability argument because quite frankly, um, we've got some kids in our world right now. Adolescence doesn't end till 27. I don't know how viable young people are until they're 30 these days. I mean, if you're going to use that, can survive outside the womb on their own. And that's no disrespect to all my kids or Lisa's kids or whatever. That's just kind of a cultural phenomenon. But when Nikki Haley... Gave a speech announcing her candidacy for president. She says that she believes she could find a consensus among all Americans that are so deeply divided right now with regard to the pro-life versus pro-abortion argument. She noted her record when she was the governor of South Carolina. She signed a Born Alive Infant Protection Act. Well, those are the bills that protect babies who survive botched abortions. And it also has, it's a law that protects unborn baby from the moment they can feel pain. Now in California, here in the People's Republic, Governor Nebuchadnezzar is passionate about aborting children right up until labor and delivery and also making sure that if an abortionist attempts a chemical or medical abortion and for some reason it doesn't work, that child can be denied health care treatment and the abortionist will face no penalty. I guess it's like um, continuation, you know? Remember Magic Johnson used to drive to the lane, he'd bump into someone, but they would give him the continuation of his forward momentum and he'd make the layup and then sink the free throw. I mean, that's basically what they're doing, only it's with human babies. Nikki Haley says, look, I signed every, as a state legislator, I voted pro-life every time. As governor, I signed them in every time i want to make sure that what we did in south carolina that made it easier for women to get ultrasounds and establish a 24-hour waiting period for abortions would in fact happen nationwide and by the way thinking, speaking of ultrasounds i'm so grateful she brought that up because 85 percent of women who see ultrasounds say that that leads them to decide either to keep the child or release the child for adoption of women who are post-abortive said, if I had seen an ultrasound and been told that adoption was an option, I would not have aborted my child. It's a reason we bring our friends at Preborn into the conversation every chance we can. I want to thank uh, Tracy for making a generous donation, $56 on a monthly basis. Thank you, Tracy, for phoning that in recently. Uh, also, Umberto did $28 a month. Linda did $28 a month. Call preborn right now with your best donation. Give a $28 gift and save one child's life. $56 saves two. $140 saves five. $280 saves 10. You could do the math. In addition, remember that a $15,000 donation to preborn also gives the preborn organization the opportunity to donate an entire ultrasound machine to a pregnancy resource center that may need one. Every one of those ultrasound machines can do one ultrasound a day for 250 days a year. So you do the math, $15,000 investment, 2,500 ultrasounds over the course of a 10-year period. Truly remarkable. Go to kbrightradio.com, click on the banner for a uh, the preborn banner there, that for the, with the two little kids all wrapped up in swaddling claws. Give your best donation there at kbrightradio.com, or call 833-850-BABY, 833-850-2229, 833-850-B-A-B-Y, is the number to get you through to, to preborn. And here on this National Day of Prayer, say a prayer for the pregnant mom right now who is debating, not sure she can carry that child to term. Maybe she's been told there's a medical challenge. Maybe she's not sure that they have enough gas in the tank at home to raise this kid. There are so many qualified moms and dads, husbands and wives, parents who are waiting to adopt that child. Please pray about making a donation. And Father, we lift up the sanctity of human life and the battle for the unborn. It's not about pre-birth. It's not about uh, trying to make certain people feel guilty about other decisions. It's respecting the life that you created in the womb. That you have a purpose for. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Nikki Haley going pro-life on us. Well, we knew she was pro-life, but she thinks she could get a consensus of the pro-life and pro-abortion people. Why is that? Well, she's got a personal reason for making that claim and she'll share it with us coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to this National Day of Prayer edition of The Bottom Line show. I'm Roger Marsh. For those who remain on the network, the National Crawford Roundtable podcast is coming up at the top of the hour. Nikki Haley announced her candidacy for president And in doing so, she said, look, since abortion has become the major campaign issue in the 2024 presidential election, I, Nikki Haley, can speak into that. I can bring a consensus for people who think abortion is the only option and for women who think that, you know, being a a mom and got to carry that baby to term is an option. And she said the reason why she thinks she can bring America to a consensus is the testimony of her husband, Mike. Nikki Haley's husband and his sister were brought up in a rather challenging home when they were growing up. And at the age of two, her husband was placed in foster care. By the time he reached age four, Nikki Haley's future husband was adopted, he and his sister, into a really wonderful, loving family. And she says, look, Here's the deal. The reason I'm pro-life is because Michael's birth parents who lived in poverty and dad was an alcoholic in and out of prison. Mom had a TBI. So the kids were taken into foster care. Literally adoption saved their lives. And she said, look, every day is a blessing because someone gave my husband life. Every day is a blessing because a family loved and raised him under difficult circumstances. The world is a better place because of Michael Haley, And then she says, my husband is reason number one that I stand for life. Every day I get to spend with the love of my life, he reminds me that I am blessed that someone saved his life. Heavenly Father, you have adopted us into your family and we are so grateful that you have. Help us who are your children grafted into your vine to continue to live out the faith that you have placed in our hearts, the gift of faith, that enables us to receive the gift of salvation that welcomes the holy spirit in. And father, i pray that our spirit would be evident to all, the spirit of redemption and restoration, renewal. As you have taken over our hearts, father, let that love so shine before other people that they would see our good deeds but then realize that it's not us but it's you working through us and that you deserve all the glory especially in this area of the sanctity of human life as so many people are fighting for their constitutional rights and all they can see is the world right here the inconvenience of a pregnancy not seeing the the immorality of what happens with their immorality father i pray that you would change hearts and minds even today for the woman who is contemplating an abortion right now father help her to know there's a family ready to adopt that child for the family who's got three kids and they think four is too many, help them to know there's a family that will adopt that child. In Jesus' precious and powerful name we pray and all God's people said, amen. For our KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your National Day of Prayer. Rabbi Schneider, Discovering the Jewish Jesus coming up next. For those who remain on the network, this week's edition of the National Crawford Brown Table It's coming up next as the bottom line continues.